Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we're continuing our study on, well, medical freedom and the theology of medical freedom. This is something that's just a little bit different. I hope that you've been enjoying this. This is installment number three. I think we're going to do about five of these, uh, and so we're right about halfway through. And uh, today we're going to be looking at one of the most important ones because this is a passage of Scripture that nearly everybody gets wrong, and they use it in many ways against medical freedom and for tyranny and trying to prop up um, really wrong governments, wrong civil governments, and to really lay ground and to lay uh, cover for tyrants. That's that's really what they try to use the scripture for. In fact, I, I've heard it used that way, well, more times than I could count, more times than I would want to count. And this is, of course, Romans chapter 13. But before we get into Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, I, I do just want to remind you what we've looked at so far, because if you're coming into this on the, the very first time, if you're going and saying, look, I was just looking for a podcast on Romans 13 to understand this idea of submission to government, what in the world Romans 13 is talking about and what it's not talking about, you might be a little amiss if you uh, don't understand the foundation that we've laid. So we started off, we looked at four uh, governments that God has given us. And of course, those four governments are one, self-government. Uh, God tells us that you need to be self-controlled. You are to go and to be sober-minded. That's self-government when you're going and you are governing over yourself. But that's not the only government uh, to the libertarian chagrin. Um, there are There is also, of course— family government. Uh, and to this family government, there you have the family unit where you have a husband, a wife, and of course the children then that are under the parents. And you have the the father that is going and leading the family, is leading the wife. The wife is respecting, submitting the husband. And of course, then you have both of the parents over the children and children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Then you also, of course, have ecclesiastical government or church government, where we see uh, that you have bishops or overseers. That's what that means, is to oversee. And you have, of course, uh, that, that same thing as, as an overseer um, in a shepherd, an elder, or a pastor, an elder. And we see that um, they are to go and to be over the flock, to oversee the flock, to shepherd the flock, to go and to counsel the flock as an elder. And of course, there is then authority that is there. Then we also see that there is civil government. And of course, civil government is the one that we always think of and about the only one we think of when it comes to government. That is uh, what, what you're thinking of when you hear the word government. We're going to be looking a lot more in that realm. But we also have seen that these governments all have delegated authority from God. God gives them their authority. God created civil government, created it specifically with a purpose. Uh, but being delegated authority, all four of these, that means that they need to line up all four of these governments with God's law. Because if it doesn't line up with God's law, God's standard, then the problem is, is that it is illegitimate, illegitimate authority. The Magdeburg Confession uh, used this illustration. They go and they say— um uh should a 
should a wife and daughters submit to a husband father uh, who goes and says uh, that they should become prostitutes? And of course, the answer is no, they should not. They should resist that tyranny. They should resist that tyranny. And as they resist that tyranny, then they would be obeying God, even though God says, wives, submit your husbands. Even though God says, children, obey your parents. Why is this? Because it is delegated authority, and that means it's to be responsible, this authority, within the realm of God's law. Once it goes outside of God's law, it is no longer a legitimate authority. It should no longer be obeying it. So it's not just that it is uh, that there are that it is a delegated authority, but then also there is a specific purpose for each government, or we would say a scope for each government. For the civil government specifically, it is to protect the innocent and to punish the wicked, to protect the innocent and to punish the wicked. And these things are all very important to go and to understand as we're laying a foundation to understand this medical freedom. But the question comes, uh, do we need to always obey the government? That's really uh, the, the civil government. That's the question that comes up. We've already somewhat answered that, but I want to specifically answer it in looking at what Romans chapter 13 is going and saying so that we can understand Romans 13, so that when people use this against you because you go and you say, look, I, I have a, a theology of medical freedom, and they go and they say, well, hold on, I've got a theology too, a theology of tyranny, and then they start throwing Romans 13 at you that you're going to be able to tell them, no, that's not what Romans 13 means. Let me tell you what Romans 13 means. But let's go ahead and let's read Romans 13 verses 1 through 7. It says this, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only for uh, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, this is important to go and understand because this is the passage of Scripture that generally goes and is thrown out there to say, look, this combats all medical freedom passages that you would go and incite because we just have to obey the civil government. Didn't you catch that in Romans 13? You have to obey the civil government. Well, let's break it down. Let's take a look here. Uh, it says, first of all, let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and these authorities exist that are appointed by God. Now, what is this saying? It's going and saying, look, God delegated authority. He created an authority. And of course, that is the civil government. And all authority that is legitimate, therefore a real authority, God created it. That's all it's saying. Now, the question is, is, is it a legitimate authority? Well, if it's going against God's word, let me tell you, it's not an authority that God created. It's not the authority that God gave that entity. It's the same thing as going and saying, well, 
Can a father or a husband go and look at his wife or his daughters and say, look, the Bible says, wife, submit to your husband. It goes and it says uh, right here, children, obey your parents. Doesn't give any qualifiers there. And it goes and it says, it goes and it says there, so therefore I can go and I can sell you into prostitution. Well, no. Absolutely not. We would go and say, hold on, that's terrible. No way. That's horrendous. Well, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. It says submit. It says obey, just like this one does, but there's limits. There's limits. Okay. Okay, okay, we understand, but that's an extreme example. Well, let me just put out another one. It says, it says wives, submit to your husbands. It says that. Ephesians 5.22, check it out. What happens if a husband says, don't wear a mask? And what if the civil government says, wear a mask? What's the wife supposed to do? Which authority is she supposed to obey? Which one? There's a contradiction here. There's a problem. Unless this is saying that the authority must be in alignment with God's revealed will. And why do I say that? Because the authority is from God. It can't contradict what God has already said. But let's continue on. In verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. What's that saying? It's saying that, hey, this is, this is actually a really big deal. You shouldn't take this flippantly. You shouldn't just go and be a rebel, because here's something that's important to understand. There are those who choose to resist tyrants because they hate authority. God is setting something up here, and Paul is saying this to the Roman church. Look, you're not to be an authority hater. You're not to be an authority hater. You're not to be a rebel because rebellion is as the uh, sin of witchcraft. But when you're rebelling against a tyrant, somebody who doesn't actually have authority because they're disobeying God, then you're actually just obeying God and you're not rebelling. You're in obedience. You can't be in obedience to God and rebel at the same time. So though we say rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God, that's because you're, it's, it's stating a truth here that is important to understand, and that is a tyrant is someone who breaks God's law. A tyrant is someone who's going and enforcing a law that contradicts God's law or is going and saying God's law doesn't matter. And that is so key and so important to understand because we go and we think that a tyrant is somebody who, who makes me do something that I don't want to do. That's not what a tyrant is. Somebody will, will go and say a tyrant is somebody who goes against, um, you, you, you know, um, the the Constitution of the United States, well, that might be true, but that's not what made them a tyrant. What made them a tyrant is that they broke God's law, that they're going against God's law. That's what makes them a tyrant. And so, therefore, we can say rebellion against tyranny is obedience to God. 
because that tyranny is an illegitimate authority because it's going outside of God's scope, prescribed scope, or it's going outside of God's law. And so they're going and they're violating something that they're not supposed to do. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Now, this is, is really important Then verse 4. I want to read verse 4 as well with this. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, this is important to understand because this is where people don't understand Romans chapter 13 because they rip it out of its historic context. They don't understand what this is talking about in Romans chapter 13. Now, remember, see, because it's, it's kind of silly, because once you see it, you can't unsee it, and it becomes so silly, because people will go and say, look, th this is saying that obedience is really important. You really need to obey God. Maybe you're listening here today, and you're saying, I'm not convinced so far, Pastor Sam. I'm not convinced by what you've given us in verses 1 and verse 2. Well, you, you got to be probably blind, dumb, and deaf in, in order to not get it here uh, if you if you can't see it, I don't know what to tell you. The, the Apostle Paul spent most of his epistle writing years in prison or house arrest, awaiting trial, that he was appealing to the Roman government that eventually then goes and executes him. Do you think he's referring to that Roman government when he says they are ministers of God? Literally, that word is, is a deacon of God. Do you think that he's literally going and saying they're a servant of God when they cut my head off, when they go and they kill me? They're a servant of God who is going and being a terror to evil works? And they're not a terror to good works because they're going to kill me for preaching the gospel? No. You see... Romans chapter 13 is not merely a prescription for citizens. It's also a prescription for the government. See, this is important to understand. So many times we go and we read Romans 13 and say, look, it's telling me how to be a good citizen. And it's describing the government. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. It is telling you how to be a good citizen. That's for sure. It is prescribing how you can be a good citizen. But it's also prescribing how the government should be a good government. Isn't that incredible to think about? It's not describing the government that arrests Paul and executes Paul for preaching the gospel. He's not going and saying, look, I deserve death for preaching the gospel. No, because that would make him in complete disobedience of Romans chapter 13. Absolutely. It would make him so that he is completely in disobedience. And, and, and if this was describing the government that he's talking about, well, then they are a terror to the preachers of the gospel. And that would make the preaching of the gospel an evil work. You can't get around that. That would be what this would be talking about. That's obviously not what it's talking about. That's contrary to the rest of the Bible. 
What is this going and saying? It's telling you how a government should function. It should go and be a terror to those who do evil works. It should go and punish evildoers. Well, how do you find out what's good? How do you find out what's evil? You go to the law of God and you see what God says, this is good. And you go to the law of God and you see this is what God says, this is evil. And then the civil government goes and says, okay, we're going to go and enforce those things. We're going to go and, and obey God's law. Whoa, you can't go and have Romans 13 outside of the law of God. You can't do it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. How can a government that is persecuting God's people be a minister of God? They can't. They can't. And so this can't be talking about it because that means the Holy Spirit would be lying and going and calling them a minister of God. It's they're only a minister of God if they're doing what it says to do in Romans chapter 13. Isn't that incredible to stop and to think about? Therefore, it says in verse 5, you must be subject not because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. If a government is enforcing the laws of God, you have to obey government. And then it's not just so that you avoid the wrath of the government. Ooh, I avoided that ticket. Ooh, I avoided that flogging. Ooh, I avoided that beheading, whatever it would be, you know, the punishment. You're going and saying, wow, my conscience is right. You see, because the government goes and when they're enforcing God's law like they're supposed to do, what ends up happening? It makes it so that when you obey the government, your conscience is good. But if you disobey the government, then your conscience is guilty. Just like a little kid, when they disobey their parents, they know, I'm in trouble. I did something wrong. Sometimes you don't catch them with their hand in the cookie jar, but you catch them because they tell you because they're so guilty. They're so guilty. They have such a guilty conscience that they come and they just tell you, I ate that cookie and I wasn't supposed to do it. Now, why is that important to understand? Because God's law is there to convict. And so when a government goes and they enforce God's law as they're supposed to go and to do, then people either have a clean conscience before God or then they get a guilty conscience. Well, what happens when you get a guilty conscience? You get conviction. What happens you get conviction when you get guilt? Then you're more likely to turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ to realize I'm guilty and I need a Savior. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This is describing how that works. Verses 6 and 7 then, For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. When things work in the way that they're supposed to do, when things work, when governments work in the way that they're supposed to do, we should actually rejoice in paying taxes. I moan when I pay taxes today because our government is evil and wicked. 
That's the reality of it is that it is evil. It's wicked. It's funding all kinds of horrendous, terrible things. It's not upholding God's law. And so it becomes a moaning and a groaning to go and to pay taxes. But if they're doing the right thing, we're going and saying, wow, this is actually working inside of God's order and inside of God's design. I'm excited to pay my taxes because this is furthering the gospel ultimately. Wow. Isn't that cool? So where all does this play into medical freedom? Because we've talked a lot about this, probably more than what you've ever thought about it before. But how this all plays into medical freedom is that it is the purpose of civil government, but then it's also the pattern of civil government. What civil government is supposed to look like. They're supposed to punish the evil. They're supposed to protect the innocent. They're supposed to go and to be a terror to evil. They're supposed to go and to be a rewarder of the good. They're supposed to be God's ministers. Now, let me tell you, somebody who goes and says, look, we're going to go and shut down churches. We're going to go and to quarantine the healthy. We're going to go and to make sure you cannot go to work to provide for your family. We're going to go and to make sure that you must take this untested, unverified cocktail of chemicals into your arm uh, to go into possibly, although we found out it doesn't, save you from um, from a disease that most likely is not going to kill you. And we're going to do so in creating this thing in means that are going to violate your conscience. That's not being God's minister. That's not being God's minister. That is a violation not only of the authority that God has given because it's going outside of God's law. We talked about that yesterday. But it's also, it's also going outside of that authority because it's going outside of the scope that it was given. And therefore, they're not being God's minister it's not the government that's being talked about here in Romans chapter 13. And therefore, we don't have, we do not have the obligation to go and to obey that type of government. Let me once again read to you just a portion of what I wrote for a medical exemption, religious exemption for vaccines because I think this will help you understand what we've been talking about in these three days. I read this the first day, but let me read it here again. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. To whom it may concern, it has been the orthodox position of Christians to recognize that God created four great governments, civil, ecclesiastical, family, and self. We recognize that these governments all have a limited scope. We believe that each of these governments should be obeyed to the fullest extent when they're within their designated scope and that Christians should be exemplary in their behavior concerning all four governments. We also believe that a Christian has no responsibility to obey any government outside of the scope than it has been designated by God. See, this is the orthodox position of a Christian. We obey when they are doing what they're supposed to do. And we have no obligation to obey when they are going outside of the scope that God delegated to them. Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart today. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And while we trust in Jesus, sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. Oh, but even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. So that war you've been 